Fractured Skulls, episode 95. Keep it in the lockdown. There's no way we're going to let a naked lady escape the building. Just a lot yeah. in the movie we're, we're going to be discussing later today. Yeah, they should have. I can't believe they let this movie escape the, uh, the, the control room and into the movie theaters. Well, we'll talk more about that in a bit. But for those that are listening for the first time, I'm Terminator Travis, alongside my good pal Monoxide. And welcome to another exciting episode of Fractured Skulls. Yay! It's been a rough week. Yeah, again, celebrities just peeling over. Yeah, and I guess we'll address the uh, elephant in the room. I mean, we lost we, we lost Sonny Corleone. Yeah, the hothead of the Corleone family. The one that theoretically could not take over the Empire once Vito is gone. He just was too emotional, to say the least. But yes, James Caan. James Caan has passed away on uh, July 6th. Just a couple days ago, as of this recording, we're recording on July 9th. He was 82 years old. Of course, most people know him from The Godfather, playing Sonny Corleone. But I've seen him in countless other films. Uh, Misery, for one. That's another great movie he was in with Kathy Bates. Uh, Brian Song, which was a TV film that came out in the early 70s. It starred him and Billy D. Williams. That was a pretty good movie. Um, of course, I think more recent fans may know him in Elf with Will Ferrell. Yeah, I couple co-workers at the fair talking about Elf. That was their movie that they remember him from. Yeah, I think the real Christmas film everyone should know him from is Santa Slay. Let's go with that one. Elf. Anything with Will Ferrell is just like, come on. You're not a a Will Ferrell guy. Yeah, I'm not a Will Ferrell guy. Uh, Santa Slay, at least, um, that's the one with Bill Goldberg, right? Yes. Yeah, that movie made me think differently about Bill Goldberg. Whereas uh, Elf, I've never been a Will Ferrell guy. Will Ferrell's, the best thing he ever did was the cowbell sketch. Everything after that is just like, it's not funny. He's just like, he's a tryhard, in my opinion. Never really was funny. I didn't like him in old school. Didn't like him in Anchorman. Or didn't like him in Night at the Roxbury. Just not a funny guy, in my opinion. Well, not, not to get off the topic of James Conn, but who is your favorite funny guy that's not Charlie Chaplin? Currently, in today's era. Oh, currently, I could not fucking tell you, man. Because I think a lot of people aren't funny now. Um... It does it have to be an actor or a comedian or what? Any form. Actor, stand-up comedian. Oh, if you're talking about stand-up comedians, like the one that made me laugh recently with their stand-up was Dave Chappelle. Yeah, I was thinking of Chappelle as well. I was like, he's probably like the only one that I still, I still have to see. I still have to see closure. I have not seen that yet. I just know of that clip what he said about the letter community. Yeah, no, that that bit, the whole uh, bit was really good. I actually liked it better than Sticks and Stones. Uh, oh, yeah. Chris Rock was always a favorite comedian of mine. Um, George Carlin, always found him funny. But uh, Will Ferrell, he just, he never did it for me. He was just always like, 
There's just something so artificial with him. So that, that's my feelings on the guy. Uh, plenty of actors have uh, uh, paid tributes to Khan, uh, you know, post his death, including Rob Reiner, who was a director of Misery. Of course, Francis Ford Coppola, Al Pacino, Barbara Streisand, Adam Sandler, who he worked with. And uh, I think that film, That's My Boy. Mm-hmm. Early 2010s. And, you know, among many other people that he's crossed paths with in his career. Uh, I mean, uh, I don't know if you ever seen the film Thief. Um, James Conn has said out of all of his movies, Thief was his personal favorite. All right, interesting. Yeah, came out in the early '80s, directed by Michael Mann. It was a pretty good movie. So uh, is it, the film he did, Alienation, which I liked, nice, fun little sci-fi flick. So I need to know this: Is it true that so in in the first Godfather movie, there's a scene? Obviously, because Sonny Corleone's character is he's a hothead. He sees his sister with a black eye. Obviously. Talia Cher, Cher, Shire, whatever, however you say her name. Her character was married to some weird guy in the beginning of the film. That's literally how the film starts. Come to find out he's abusive. And there's a scene where he finds that guy somewhere in the streets of Manhattan or whatever, Brooklyn, and beats the piss out of him in front of everybody. Is it true that that scene was real? Like, he really went and fucked him up for real. The story that I heard was that when Sheer and that guy, when they filmed their scene, when he was being abusive to her. Yeah. He actually, there were some scene, there were some parts of that where he did actually hit her. Yes. And for those that don't know, Talia Sheer is cousins to the director of Francis Ford Coppola. They're related. Uh And when she told Coppola, Coppola went to Khan and he says, you know, Jimmy. Uh, you know that scene, you know, where you and this guy, where you beat him up. He's like, yeah. He says, I need you to lay it in. And Connor was like, no problem. <laughs> Anything you say, boss. Yeah, apparently that guy was not liked. Yeah, he, he didn't have the greatest reputation in Hollywood. Or he was known, he, you know, he's had you know, issues with women. That's kind of actually why he got the part, actually. And apparently, uh, when asked about that incident where he hit Talia Shire share for real. He's like, oh, it's Hollywood. Shit happens. Yeah, I understand oh. shit. I understand shit happens. I don't know. That's the greatest response. Not just It's like, he didn't say, hey, I'm sorry or whatever. Well, he just sounds sympathetic. We know when he said, ah, shit happens. Yeah, shit happens. Whatever. Like, dude, no. You hit the woman, own up to it, just feel like, hey, I fucked up. I'm sorry. Yeah, you know, sometimes when we do these scenes, you're kind of in the moment, and you don't realize, like, oh, shit, you know? But, yeah, I've heard that story. Um, James Caan, that's a legendary actor. He's done so many movies. He had a cameo, I guess you want to call it that, and Dick Tracy, um, sharing a scene with Al Pacino. That was the first time they shared a scene. I think, you know, that was one of the only other times they both shared a scene together since Godfather. And I'm pretty sure he did that role, did that as a favor for Warren Beatty. Warren Beatty made a phone call to all his friends uh, to help pitch in for that movie. Yeah, it's interesting he played Al Pacino's older brother in Godfather when they're like the same age. They were both born in 1940, right? Around the time, yeah. Yeah, Pacino was, I believe, in his late 20s, early 30s, around that time. 32, because that movie came out in 72. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, uh, James Conn would also have been born, uh, been 32 at the time. I'm trying to remember how old John 
Cazell was. Cazell, I would say, I believe he was in his late 30s. Because he was in his early 40s when he passed, I think. Yeah. And he only was known for the two Godfather movies, Dog Day Afternoon. And Deer Hunter. And Deer Hunter. I think there was one other film he did, but I don't know. I know when he did when they did Deer Hunter, they didn't want to cast him because of his health. But uh, his girlfriend at the time was Meryl Streep, and she told him, "You don't, you know, if you don't cast him, I'm backing out of this movie." They're like, "Fuck!" And then they ended up casting. That is a woman that you should always have by your side because look at Lucille Ball; she refused to do the show unless she had Ricky Ricardo as her husband. And guess what? became the most iconic couple in TV history. Yep. So, sometimes you gotta trust gut instincts. And, um, any, any last thoughts on James Conn before we move on to our fortunate other celebrity that passed away? It is, it is unfortunate. I mean, I didn't watch a whole lot of his work, but to him as Sonny, it's it's a very iconic performance from him. It is, because it shows that, you know, Sonny was not a loyal fa- was not a loyal husband. He constantly was sleeping with other women. Yeah. But, but Sonny was a family man. He was a very loyal brother. Yeah. And once, he, you know, he saw what was happening with his sister, he immediately took action. Yeah, and fucked somebody up, so. And, and unfortunately, at the same time, it also led to his death. Yeah, because that guy gave information to get Sonny killed. Yeah, to the other head of the mafia and to basically get him killed if he ever acts up again and of course he sla- slapped around to Leah Shire he probably made a phone call to these guys scared he's gonna come for me he's gonna come for me we'll take care of him and then that's where they got him at the toll booth mm-hmm. it's unfortunate it sucks but at least he died at 82 and not at 42 yeah so rest in peace to the king Jimmy Khan and then we move over to our second death scene, another another iconic actor known for doing a lot of playing a lot playing a tough guy on screen, playing Paulie Walnuts in a Sopranos, Tony Sirico. And wrestling fans may recognize him because he did a lot of those uh, Stacker Two commercials in the like two th- the early two thousands. Yeah. The energy drink. He did a lot of those. That was kind uh-huh. of like at the peak of his career. Yeah, I never was a Sopranos guy. Never really got into that show. And he was Tony Stark's in Goodfellas. Okay, that I remember, you know. Goodfellas Goodfellas was like... It's a good mobster film, but it was never a favorite of mine. Never, like, in the same vein of Godfather or Scarface. It was good, but I didn't put it in that regard. Would you... Do you prefer Casino over that? I didn't see Casino as much. I've seen Goodfellas more than Casino, so I'd have to watch Casino again to really form an opinion. So I saw Casino once as a teenager in full. He's been around. Uh, he's been acting since the early 70s. He was an extra in The Godfather Part Two. Okay. And he was an extra in Goodfellas, but um, his his breakthrough was doing Sopranos. Yeah. He has the, uh, the look... Of a uh, Italian mobster, so yeah, that makes sense. Faster, he's gaining. And I'm just going through his uh, other. He's done. He's done plenty of other stuff, but uh, nothing, you know, up to that caliber of uh, playing Paulie Walnuts on a Sopranos. Capiche? 
Yeah, uh, he did voice uh, Vinny in Family Guy. That's I think that was the dog that was supposed to replace Brian originally. Is they had killed off Brian and replaced him with Vinny, and uh, when the fan backlash was too much, they brought Brian back. Freaking people! God forbid they try to do something different. I remember at one point in The Simpsons they wanted to break up Homer and Marge. I I'm conflicted when it comes to divorce, mainly because like this country is full of divorce anyways, and it's like wait, Marge and Homer are like the most iconic couple. Why would you want to divorce them? I know they did a, a breakup of Kermit and Miss Piggy. He's just like, really? I, yeah, I, I, I wasn't a fan of how they killed off Brian. But the thing is, is that they kind of shot themselves in the foot because the fans that brought up a good point. They did time travel throughout the show, so it's like, well. If Brian dies, you can just go back in time and stop that moment from happening. Because the yeah. whole episode where he gets killed, I think Stewie gets all upset because he's finally created a bond with Brian, and then that's when Vinny comes in, played by uh, Polly Walnuts. But at the end, it's just like, yeah, they kind of shot themselves in the foot when they said time travel is possible in the Family Guy universe. Yeah, that's what happens when you involve time travel, because then you just kind of create a whole new where all the problems you know yeah somebody doesn't like something you can just use the time travel excuse to go back and and, re- and try to retcon it yeah yeah so that's what happened but yeah rest in peace to Tony I mean another another great gangster uh, character actor we lost mm-hmm. and our last death you just brought this up uh, to me moments ago before we started recording Actor Lenny Von Dolan, who um, he was a uh, actor on Twin Peaks, but he hasn't done many big roles. But the one role I, it seems like everyone may remember him from is Home Alone Three, playing one of the four henchmen that uh, gets caught in Alex, don't call me Kevin McAllister's traps. Yeah, uh, he was the one where he gets electrocuted, gets his pants torn up, and then he's got a squirrel that's caught in his pants, and Alice throws the or swings the baseball bat right to his nuts. Crowbar. That's, and then the way he sells it, he, 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 he did a really good job. You spanked my winky. Yeah, you smacked my winky. Just, he, he did that role pretty well. Him as well as uh, David Thornton played Unger. They all were pretty good. You know, Home Alone 3, it's not that bad. I never hated it. I never Although, hated it. You know, that's another good list. Top 10 movies I like that everyone hates. Here's what something I I mean, not to get off topic of... Um, not to get off topic of Lenny Von Dolan, but David Thornton, the guy who plays Unger, I didn't realize this. He's married to Cindy Lauper. Really? They've been married since 1991. I did not know that. Something new that we learned every day. Every day. I know that actor, Unger, he was in, um, what's that movie, Martin Lawrence? Blue Streak. Yeah. Yeah, it was him, Lawrence, and uh, Dave Chappelle. They were in a scene together, like one of the end scenes. He played like a terrorist. Uh, Dave Chappelle was like, I can rip your lips off and kiss my ass at them shit. 
Nice. Underrated. Underrated Lawrence Blake. I always liked the uh, Blue Streak. But yeah. But yeah, that sucks. I I just he passed away on July fifth. I I I would have never known about this had you not told me. And I looked it up on Twitter and like only. Not many news sites even report it because, I mean, like I said, you know, he was never like a high-profile actor. Yeah, that was his, I guess his biggest movie was Home Alone 3 because Home Alone 2 had come out, what, 92? Yeah, it had to have been 92. So there was like a five, six-year gap between that and Home Alone 3. And Home Alone 3, it was pretty much established that it was going to be a brand-new cast. It was going to be following... uh, the Macaulay Culkin family. Yeah, the McAllisters. Originally, it was it was supposed to be with them again, but uh, Macaulay Culkin was getting old, and he didn't want to do it anymore. He was hitting puberty. Yeah, crazy concept. Yeah, I mean, the last film he did, I guess, as a child actor, would have been uh, Richie Rich, and that was in '94. And after that, he was done. What was that movie that where he got stung by a bee and died? My girl. Yeah. I, I never really cared for that movie. It's been a minute since I've seen it, so I can't really comment. Well, it's kind of a childhood favorite for a lot of people, but no, you know, not for me, brother. It's don't work for me, brother. I mean, that sucks, you know. Uh, it's been a rough week. Right. As I mentioned, we lost three. We we lost three uh, great actors. Only other news that I know about is the Duffer Brothers um, are starting their own production company, Upside Down Productions, um, which I know they're going to do uh, more projects for Netflix. And I hear that they may possibly work on a Stranger Things spinoff. I heard that. Yeah. I don't know how I feel about that. I don't know what that's going to be. Maybe I'll focus on number eight. Wherever she is. Wherever she is. Whoever she is at this point, I don't know. Yeah. You do need answers. You need answers because they haven't brought that shit up since uh, the end of that episode, and I wouldn't be surprised if they never do. If they just quietly get rid of her. Oh, nice. Wonderful. And that's that uh, for news stories. Um, I guess I could, I could get to my list here by my top ten favorite movie endings. Oh, wonderful. Let's see. I, 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 I know you did yours, and, and it, it, it inspired me. It inspired me. Maybe I should do mine. This was a hard list to come up with. This was not easy. I'm pretty sure if I even think about it more, I'm pretty sure there's like a film or five that I may be leaving out here. But these type of endings or endings that whether got me emotional, whether it's a great twist, or you know whether it be setting up for a sequel or whatnot, just you know a great ending that that gets different emotions out of me. Okay. And for those that. That I want to know. No, I did not include the uh, Paul Walker ending from whichever Fast and the Furious movie where they did the little tribute to him at the end. Oh, that's where they got his brother to fucking do the. the yeah, to do the stand-in for him. And playing that stupid song that they played on the radio forever and ever and ever. Yeah. They, the... Yeah, it's all, I never grew up with those movies. And, you know, it sucks that Paul Walker died because obviously he was one of the guys of the franchise. And it was done, but, you know, I didn't get emotional to it because I was never attached to those movies emotionally. So it didn't do nothing for me. But it was nice that they did that for him. Yeah, well, they had to 
come up with a reason to not bring the character back because he's such a big character and just him not returning there had to be an explanation yeah because i know he did film some scenes he never finished all his scenes you know to his unfortunate death so they had to bring in his brother to do the stand-in and they i know watching i seen clips of it on youtube and there was a lot of shots where they had basically filmed behind his head and then when they did show his face, it was like for a quick second or two, and then they just cut like to different camera angles. Yeah. So they tried it. So you know they did the best they could. I can't. I can't fault them for that. They were put in a tough spot. Well, that and he died what 2013, and the film didn't come out till 2015. Yeah. So that definitely would play a role. Yeah. So know that. So sorry, guys. But let's get this bad boy started. Um, again, this is not, not in no order. Just 10 films were 10 favorite movie endings that I just personally enjoyed for whatever reason that is. Uh, this was a film you mentioned on your list, and I'm going to mention it as well, Toy Story 3. Okay. Uh, just a fantastic ending to a great chil- trilogy. That scene when they were in the uh, the fire pit, they almost got me. I would, I actually shed a tear. They almost got me. I thought they were going to kill them for a quick second. Then I realized, I'm stupid, Travis. It's a Disney movie. They don't do that kind of stuff. But the story was so well told at this point. You were so invested and you wanted them all to get out. And when Lotso did not push the button, where's your kid now, Sheriff? No! And then they all fell into the pit. And they're about to be, to you know, burn up. And then those aliens with the claws saved their lives. Then Andy uh, sends his toys to the little girl, and he gets to play with Woody and his friends for one last time before he drives off to college. And as Woody says for his closing line, "So long, partner." Oh, I don't know if you ever saw it, but uh, this one dude decided to fuck with his mother, so he took Toy Story three, went onto his computer, and right at the scene where they're going down the furnace and they basically are embracing the fact they're gonna die and they close eyes ready to meet their demise he decided that let me put the fade out to black and then put the credit scene in and then show it to his mother and when the mother watched it she's like that's not how it ended really that's how they're gonna end it like they had her thinking that it ended with them alluding to the fact they all died (laughs) that is a great prank (laughs) (laughs) and then eventually he showed her the real ending and just as emotional but in a better sense it's more like oh and that's where as i mentioned in the last episode that's where the story should have ended they decided to make another movie it just didn't, the magic just wasn't there anymore, but it was cool to kind of see them all again for one final time, and, you know, it was whatever. I didn't hate it, but, you know, it just, it just feels so distant from the previous three films. Of course. I mean, at least they, they made money off it, so I guess that's what all, that's all that matters in the end. Yeah, that's all that matters. That's all Disney cares about at this point. Yeah. Uh... Another film ending, number nine. Uh, we're gonna go John Carpenter here, Halloween. Oh yeah. You know I this guess. type of ending has been done. I'm pretty sure countless other films since then, but just with the ending of the idea, we never, we didn't know, we really didn't know anything about the shape. We just knew that he was a kid, killed his sister for why? Why? We don't know. 
escape from a mental institution and he just goes on and goes back to his old town Haddonfield goes back to his house and he just starts killing teenagers why does he start killing people we don't know and at the end we, we really don't know how strong Michael is because at this time we didn't have no Jason we had no Freddy we didn't have any of the iconic horror characters besides the universal monsters yeah and Leatherface and Leatherface yeah and Leatherface wasn't even an iconic well he didn't have his film series yet he just had that just that one movie and that's it Oh, yeah, but who knew that Michael was going to have another movie? I don't think they wanted to do Michael a second movie. It wasn't until 1981 that Halloween 2 came out. Yeah, Carpenter didn't want to do another film. He basically, they basically talked him into it, and he just kind of drank some beer and wrote the screenplay for it. And then that's basically the film that we got with Halloween 2. But it was just that ending, you know, the first film, you know, uh, Dr. Loomis shot Michael. I just love that scene when he shoots him the first time. Uh, and then he walk, goes into the room and he just sees Michael standing there just breathing hard and his little Darth Vader breathe and then bang, 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 bang falls off the uh, balcony Dun! the music's there you know, Michael's dead on the uh, on the um, on the yard Loomis checks on Lori and then he looks outside again to see the body and the body's gone dun, 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 dun where did the shape go? And then it just shows all these different shots throughout the house, throughout the neighborhood. Fade to black, roll credits. And you hear his breathing. I guess I could put this on my tab because I've only did eight. I guess this could be included in mine. I just didn't really think about it because I guess because it led to a sequel. It wasn't like a finale ending. It was just it was alluding to another movie coming out type of deal. Right? When you look at it now, that is the case. Now, even then, it, it wasn't alluding to a sequel. He just wanted to end the movie on a question mark. On a, you know, where did he go? And that could be it. what his thought was, but what about the viewer that saw it? The viewers, I don't know. I For that target audience at the time, I don't know. But I think that's what he wanted the viewers to, to view it. Because, yeah, the funny thing is, is that we don't really put two and two together, but when you watch that first scene... It's supposed to be a surprise that a kid is doing the killing. Because the whole first ten minutes is in POV of Michael Myers. And then the swerve comes when he takes the mask off of him. And it's a kid that stabbed his sister. Quite, there's a lot of twists and turns in that movie, when you think about it. I was surprised it didn't make your list this one Halloween. I was like, wow, I'm surprised he well, didn't now, now it would, now that I think about it. Yeah, so, I think Yeah, I think you would, if you would have had more time to think it over, you probably this would have crossed your mind. Yeah. And we go from one Carpenter film to another. The Thing, 1981 or 1982, one of those years it came out. Have you ever seen The Thing? No. Oh, my God. You're killing me, Smalls. Well, um, I hate to spoil the ending to you since you haven't seen it. But after the big... Cover my ears. Oh, yeah. Okay, cover your ears. After the big explosion happens... They, you would think that Kurt Russell killed this monster. In comes uh, Keith David's character. Kurt's asking him, you know, where were you? I was looking for you. And he sits down because they're just sitting there waiting for the Calvary, waiting for help to come. If it ever comes. Because this, you gotta realize the story takes place in Antarctica. So it's just Kurt Russell sitting there with Keith David. And little do, does Kurt, Kurt kind of knows that Keith David is the monster. The, you know, the thing got him. But the one thing the thing doesn't know is that uh, Keith David, his flame torture is out of ammo. 
But of course, Russell isn't going to say nothing because he kind of knows, you know, Keith David is the monster. It's tell. You can tell even from the breathing. You see all because he's in the cold. When, you know, when he's breathing, you see all the smoke coming out of his nose and his mouth. And with Keith, there's very little to no smoke. And then Kurt Russell hands him a bottle thinking that, uh, you know, it's alcohol. So Keith David drinks it. And then that's when the music plays. Dun, dun, dun. And then Kurt Russell smiles. I think that was supposed to lose that bottle he gave him wasn't alcohol, it was uh, kerosene or gasoline. But the alien monster doesn't know that because he's drinking and thinking it's whatever alcoholic beverage that the humans drink. And then Kurt Russell smiles realizing, God damn it, you're the fucking monster. And then the movie, and then it fades to black, roll credits. So another question mark ending. It's like, now what? You gonna cover your ears. Oh, wait, how are you gonna know? Let me, let me no, I heard it. I, I heard but I did not hear anything you said. So great because we're I'm, we're gonna have to review the thing at one point now. Okay. I probably would have done that with this review had I known you haven't seen it. And number another great ending film. Um, speaking of James Caan, The Godfather. When Michael became the new man in charge, when he became the head of the family, a lot of members, his own people, didn't take him serious. When he mentioned, when Michael mentioned that he wanted to move to Vegas to expand, originally at, um, oh no, one of them was a Tesla that wanted his own family. And when Michael told him, you know, no, 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 you know, you should hold up on that. Tesla moved, looked over at Marlon Brando, looked at uh, Vito, was like, Vito, come on, you know, I've been doing all this for you, you know, I really want my family. And, you know, Vito basically told Tesla, you know, look, what Michael says goes. He's the guy. I'm not. I'm just, you know, I'm just sitting here in the room just to, be uh, an observer at this point you know I'm, I'm not the head of the family it's Michael you got you got to trust Michael and that you know that just shows you how loyal you know that Vito was to his son he would never turn his back against family now did Vito agree with Michael's choices at that moment maybe not but you know the reason I say all that because eventually after Vito Corleone passes away we were told that whoever is going to set up a meeting between Michael and his other family, they're going to provide security. Vito told Michael, he's he's going to betray you. He's going to have you killed because he's going to basically want your spot. And it turned out it was, uh, what's his name from Good Burger? Uh, yeah. What the hell's the actor's name? I forget his name, but I know exactly who you're talking about. Because as soon as it's uh, realized that it was him and they're about to kill him, he tells uh, Henry... Uh, yeah, he tells him, uh, just tell Michael it's strictly business. It was not so. just business. And yeah, he looked at Robert Duvall and says, Tom, you think you can get me out of this one? I'm hating you. Yeah. Can't do it. And uh, and that's when uh, Joe Spinell, the maniac uh, slasher, that's when he uh, he was in that scene. Basically, yeah. one that was had to do the killing on uh, uh, Abe Vigoda. And after when uh, all the heads of the family were killed, the day of of uh, his was his son, his son's uh, uh, baptism. He had uh, he made an order to have all the heads of the mafia killed. They all got killed. Mo Green got killed as well for not selling his business shares to Michael. You know, at the end of the film, after Kalen asked him, "Did you have you know Talia Shire's husband killed?" Remember, Michael says, "I'll let you ask me this one question, and I'll be completely honest with you." She asked him a question. He said no. Of course, he lied to his own wife. You know, that's when she realized, you know, this is no longer the man that I fell in love with. He's now the new godfather. 
you know and she's looking you know she's out of the room she's looking in because the door's open you could finally see tesla and everyone that's in the corleone family kissing michael's hand he finally has their respect they now worship him and his guard closes the door boom roll credits What's interesting is, is that he's nothing like his father. His father was a family guy because he still had compassion for his people. I mean, yeah, he had ruthless methods to get what he wanted. He would go ahead and um, cut a horse's head off just so that one of his, uh, what is it, Joey Fontaine. Could get that movie wrong. He always, he always liked Joey. But the thing is, is that Michael was never destined to take over. It was supposed to be Sonny, but Sonny got killed. And Michael, the only reason he became so ruthless was because he fell in love with a girl in a different country. And I think he never really liked his actual wife that he marries and is with throughout the series. I I think he did in the beginning. But he really was in love naturally with that girl in what was it sicily or italy yeah Yeah, he was naturally in love with her and when she was murdered by somebody he trusted that was it he he didn't give a fuck anymore like everything that he loved was just completely shattered and that's when he became fucking ruthless and so it went like literally the empire that they had created went from a house full of kids running around and all relatives just having a good time making lunch and dinner for everybody to just an empty big house because he just became so cold and ruthless yeah you see a lot more of that in the second film and he's even ruthless to tom yeah in the second film of robert duvall and duvall even mentions says michael why are you so mean to me like i, I, I didn't do nothing to you yeah he that, just was, became- that, was, that was michael just became a cold-blooded guy like you could see it in the film when uh when somebody made a hit like he screams at one of his people in my home in my bedroom where my wife sleeps where my kids go and play with their toys <laughs> how would he do that <laughs> yeah it's one of my favorite michael Coleon quotes but yeah the, the ending to the godfather fantastic film Ten, uh, perfect film Five stars. Not minus, but plus five stars. Or number six, whatever, no particular order. Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory. Yes. Well, I think it's, especially after uh, I heard, you know, when Gene Wilder passed away, I was devastated. Like, oh, man, we lost such such a great uh, guy. And just that ending after, you know, black and white, clear as crystal. You get nothing. You lose. Good day, after he berates Charlie and Grandpa Joe, Charlie gives him back that, what was it, that gobstopper treat that he handed all the kids out? Yeah, that was and, supposed to be a test. And that was a test, and he's like, Charlie, you passed, you passed, I'm so happy for you. And then they go in that elevator, and it shoots up into the sky, you know, and, and Charlie's like amazed how high they are. He's like, I can see the whole city, and Gene is just sitting there with a smile on his face. He says, Charlie, what do you think of the factory? And Charles like, it's the most amazing thing I've ever seen. And he says, I'm happy to hear that because I'm going to give it to you. So what? And, you know, that's the grand prize. You won, Charlie. I knew you would win. All, you know, all those kids are swore, but not you. You were special. And then fucking Grandpa Joe's all like, what about me? 
He said, you too. You know, you can stay here. You can move into the factory with the family. You guys can live here and do whatever. Play the Oompa Loompas or whatever the fuck. Fucking Grandpa Joe, the biggest heel in this movie. Stays in bed until Charlie wins a golden ticket. And all of a sudden, he go walk. Well, hey, it took a little bit of work to walk. Nah, I don't want to hear it. Yeah, it took a golden ticket for him to walk. Okay. I mean, everybody's got an inspiration. Not him. You see, he not only is walking, he starts singing. He does a musical number. Okay, yeah. He got inspiration because his grandson actually accomplished something in his short life. He wanted something in return. He even said, what about me? <laughs> well, think of it like this. The scene right before he starts walking... His grandson actually says that he wants to go to the factory and really wants it to be him. So if you really think about it, he, who couldn't walk, decided I'm going to do my best to fucking start walking again so I can fulfill my grandson's dream of having him and I go to the chocolate factory together. He wanted that dream. We can't assume the motive. He just happened to bring Charlie along. Charlie was his ticket to get in the factory. Oh, okay. Sure. We're assuming man's motives. Oh, I know his motives. He ain't fooling me. But just that scene, just the way uh, Gene Wilder delivered that line. He says, Charlie, you know what happened to the boy that got everything he wanted? And he's like, what? He lived happily ever after. And then it plays the music. Da-da-da, da-da-da. And then they go for the big hug. And then roll credits. Beautiful. It means a lot more when, you know, when when his death happened. And then you just rewatch that scene. You're like, oh man, this guy was so was such a talent. It is a good movie ending, and I think it's because more so the the message. Because when Willy Wonka set out this whole thing, it was so that somebody can replace him, but he wanted it to be a kid because kids have purity, their their imagination, and he knew it had to be a special kid. Right, and, he, and, he's, and he said to him, you know, I need, a, I need a kid to take care of the Oompa Loompas, not an adult. Adults going to want to do it the way, you know, they want to, you know. They, they don't see things as a kid. They're going to see it as an adult. But it needs to be a pure kid. It can't be a spoiled kid like Violet Bogard or Baruch Assault, Mike TV, or Gustus Group. Because Gustus Group is going to eat everything. Um, Baruch Assault is just going to be abusive to everybody. Violet Beauregard's going to treat it like a business and Mike TV's just not going to give a shit. He's going to do whatever he likes to do. So, Charlie was the only one that theoretically could take care of the factory because he was the only one that was nature good and had a good head on his shoulders. So, he was the perfect guy to take over. So, that's why he went and the whole gobstopper thing that was planted because every kid won a ticket. The guy who was playing uh, Slugsworth, he wasn't really Slugsworth, he was just an employee of Willy Wonka that was set out to play as Slugsworth. He's the one that said, give me the never, uh, what was it, the Neverlasting Gobstopper so that they can get a lot of money. He wanted to test them to see that if they would sell their soul to the devil. And because Charlie didn't, he gave the gobstopper back to Willy Wonka. That's that was proof to Willy Wonka. Okay, this kid ain't gonna just sell me or sell me out for money. Well, yep, it works. I, I'm not sure how the slugs was was able to get to every every spot because all these these tickets are sent around the world, 
And every time, every you know, these kids were interviewed from different parts of the world, he just happened to be there. Well, <laughs> Mike TV and Veruca or, or Violet Bogart, weren't they both American? And I, I can't speak for Veruca. I think she may have been British. Yeah, Veruca um, was British. The uh, Violet and Mike TV were American. And uh, Augustus, I believe, was German. German. And then what What does that make Charlie? Uh, Britain? I, I would assume Britain, yeah. Well, you only had to go to three countries. Yeah, but you have to cross that pond probably like four times. You probably went there for Ruka, went back. Oh, fuck, another American with kid one. Damn it! <laughs> you have to go back! <laughs> Think about it this way. Augustus Group got the first ticket, so that's Germany. The second one was Veruca Salt. That's England, so it's still in the same continent. Then it was Violet Beauregard, and then Mike TV, so that's both America. And then back to the UK with um, Char uh, Charlie Bucket. Timing is, is still suspicious to me. But... You also have to keep this in mind, too. They don't specify how much time was lapsed in between each ticket being found. Mm -hmm. So, could have been, he could have had plenty of time to do it. Timing is still suspicious to me, but I'll let it go. I will say this. It does have one of my favorite scenes. Where... The guy's got a computer, and he's going to ask where the tickets are. And the computer's like, I will not tell. That would be cheating. And then he said to the computer that if you tell me, I'll give him a lifetime supply of chocolate. And he goes, what would a computer do with a lifetime supply of chocolates? I'm about to tell the computer exactly what he could do with a lifetime supply of chocolates. <laughs> That's a great thing. Well, we're halfway. Uh, number five for me is the Buddy Holly, the ending to the Buddy Holly story. Uh, it's a biopic about Buddy Holly, of course, and he's played by Gary Busey, uh, in a fantastic performance. One of my favorite, uh, celebrity playing an artist performances. I guess that's the best way to put it. And the final scene is just him doing his concert for the winter tour. You know, that last show before, you know, he, you know, he passed away on that plane. And his Good. last. No, keep going, but uh, finish what you were saying, and then I'll tell you why I said shit. No, I was gonna. And the last scene is just him playing his at the concert. It's a six-minute scene, and he, it just really shows you, you know, that this guy had so much more to offer. Had he, he was only twenty-two when he died, twenty-two years old. Yeah. And his wife at the time, you know, once he passed, she was pregnant. And once he passed away, she unfortunately suffered a miscarriage because of a broken heart. And it's just so sad. But, you know, just watching Gary, like seeing, watching Gary Busey in this role. I mean, it's, it's probably the best performance he's ever had in his career. Once upon a time, ladies and gentlemen, Gary Busey was a great actor. And and he actually, and he played the, uh, the guitar in this film as well. And just watching him on, you know, on that stage in his presence, it just felt like you were watching Buddy Holly again. It just felt like a, a reincarnation. You know, and at, and at the end, after he finishes his last song, he says, Thank you, everybody. We'll be back again next year. Freeze frame. T uh, title on text. You know, Buddy Holly, you know, passed away on his plane alongside Richie Valens and the Big Bopper. And the rest, you know, and the rest is rock and roll. Roll credits, and they play the sad music. Well, they should have played American Pie because that's based off of that incident. But anyways, I was going to say, so the reason why I said shit. So earlier I put Halloween in that list of top 10. 
But when you were talking about performances and you thought that this was the best musical performance ever, it reminded me of one other movie I could put in my top 10 list of best endings. And that's where I'm going mine's next. And I'm, I know what you're going to say. Selena. Yes, I have that on my list as well. Selena's ending was so fucking sad. Because the set, the ending you just described, to me, the way it's described pales in comparison to the it ending does, of yeah, that, yeah, Selena to me is the best ending for a biopic, I guess you can say. Just the music, and then they play her one of her last songs. To me, I, I, I still say this to this day. She was going to be the Mexican Whitney Houston because she had that song. Because that's, that's basically a Whitney Houston song or a song she would sing. And I think she was testing the waters and the studio was testing the waters with her to see if she can do that kind of music. And she fucking nailed it. That and no disrespect to Jennifer Lopez, the South Park recaller. But I do believe if Selena would have not been killed, Jennifer Lopez... She probably would have had a career, but nowhere near the career she had if Selena was still around. She basically took over Selena's role. Her spot, yeah. You know, Some people say the same thing about Beyonce had Aaliyah not passed away. When did uh, Destiny's Child break up? 2002, 2003. So yeah, that would have been after Aaliyah's passing. Yeah, Aaliyah was 01 when she died. Yeah, yeah, I could see that. Yeah, that's that's definitely that definitely is an argument to be made because Leo was literally on fire at that point, and then just bam. Yeah, she had a music career. She had a mu- movie career that was really going to take off because she did Queen of the Damned and Romeo Must Die. I think she had like three more movies lined up for her. One of her was to be in a sequel to The Matrix. Mm. And, you know, she never got to film those scenes. Um, but just as I, you know, with the Selena, just that final moment. And then they do the tribute video showing all the clips of, of the actual Selena on stage. Some home video of her at her house and just playing her song. I'm dreaming with you tonight. And, and that, tonight. seeing her family crying in the hospital. after her Yeah, it was, it was very well done. It it's well done because, like, I always say, like, I've got, a, I've got a loved one myself, and I'm like, I don't want ever want that to happen to me. Where I'm walking into a hospital and I hear that my spouse was unceremoniously murdered, and um, especially since Casalino was what, 24? 23. 23, 24. Yeah, that's like, I, I remember years ago I made a post saying. Who do you think was worse, Mark David Chapman or Yolanda Saldivar? And I ponder it because they both are equally repulsive people for what they have done. But, and I'm not taking anything away, but John Lennon had a 20-year career. He had a career, thankfully. I wish he would still be here today and would have died of natural causes or something. That would have made a better happy ending for a John Lennon career. But at least John Lennon has like 20 years, at least 20 years of worth of material that you can just listen to, whether it be with the Beatles or his solo work. John Lennon's got like a whole library that you will never, you, you'll have a good list of John Lennon songs to listen to. Whereas Selena, it's like, 
she didn't really start becoming popular until the 90s. And when she did, when she was just getting that big break into real, because she, she was breaking the, the barriers of Mexican music culture and then breaking into the American culture to become a bit, like you said, the big Latino star. And then this woman who's supposed to represent her fan club, she gets called out for stealing money from her fans and then she just shoots her. And she claims, she keeps claiming self-defense, like, Oh yeah, I I'm sure that Selena, who's never had a run-in with the law, never had any history of domestic abuse or anything like that, is going to physically assault you. Like, come on, to the point you have to pull out a gun and shoot her. Yeah, get the fuck out of here. Yeah, just a shame. Just a like. Of all the deaths, like Buddy Holly and um, Richie Valens was super tragic because they were young too. So the ones that died really young and could have had more uh, of a catalog of music to listen to. Another one being uh, Biggie Smalls. Because he doesn't have a huge cat uh, catalog either because he died young. Tupac died young, but he's got a lot of stuff out there, but... It's the ones that were like just getting started. Aaliyah being another. They were really picking up steam. I know there's been more recently, like with, um, I don't know how you pronounce it, XXX Tenation or Triple X Tenation or whatever the fuck his name is. He died at like 21. Um, you hear a bunch of these rap artists, or, or Christina Grimmie was another one. She was like in her early 20s. She was at a concert and some random dude just came up and shot her as she was doing autographs and killing her too and she was the one I, I, I could be wrong but I think she got her start by going on YouTube and doing covers and she started getting really big and then of course some random fucktard just shot her and killed her it's yeah it's really tragic when you hear stories of like, like in Selena's case, real, real tragic. Yeah. And Biggest what if I would say. Big, yeah, one of the what ifs. Yeah, a lot, a lot of big what ifs for any like musical artist in the '90s. Oh, we know where where they could have gone. Even let's just say like post two thousand. Yeah. Know? What would Selena say about the climate today? Yeah. Especially music now that most people can get famous off SoundCloud or shit like that. Yeah, and well, she well, she started from the bottom. What would her opinion be of Napster? What her opinion would be of American Idol? American Idol or um, not Star Search. What's the other one? Um, Simon Cowell. That's the one that Susan Boyle got famous off. Oh, America's Got Talent. Britain's Got Talent. Yeah. Well, Britain's Got Talent. Or X Factor, or whatever it's called. Well, I don't, I know, I don't know what the winner. I know the winners of America's Got Talent earns themselves a spot at uh, a Vegas premiere show. Mm. American Idol, you win a, you get to do an album. Yeah, but they don't guarantee you that you're going to be a star. It's just that you get the opportunity to make an album, and who was the biggest star of American Idol? Well, Carrie Underwood, probably. Uh, before Kelly, Carrie Underwood, it would have been Kelly Clarkson. But yeah, the I would big, say the big three. I would say is those two and Jennifer Hudson. 
Yeah, because Ruben Stutter won the second one. He didn't mount anything. Uh, and the runner-up was uh, Clay Aiken. And I, argue, I argued he did more than Ruben Stutter. Yeah, uh, Fantasia Barino, I think, won the third one. She didn't end up really doing much other than the Star Spangled Banner or WrestleMania 26. No, I think, um, yeah, she did some Broadway. And then, uh, to be honest, yeah, Fantasia Barino did that, but the fucking guy that got eliminated in the first round, William Hong, is more iconic than she is, and his performance was bad. I I don't know. I don't know. Where, would she have been a judge on that show instead of Paul Abdul? Who knows? Yeah. You know, I saw a, a meme of like like two. These are the two Mexican Americans that you don't make fun of, and it was a picture of Selena, and the other one was Eddie Guerrero. Well, yeah, because they weren't just great at their craft; they were great people. Yep, that helps. You know, and with and with Selena too, you could probably make the argument with Eddie. It wasn't just the Mexican culture she was influencing. I I feel she was influencing the entire Hispanic culture. Yeah. And I felt like when she passed away, like, that that hurt everyone. Yeah, Eddie, too. Because Eddie, at that time, was doing that angle with Ray, uh, where the Dominic, who's the father of that kid, as corny as that story sounds when you actually describe it, the Hispanic viewership for SmackDown shot up. So it helps in the long run. And... It's unfortunate because, yeah, Eddie was not just a beloved Hispanic star, but a beloved man behind the scenes by many people. And I would presume the same for Selena. She was just a beloved person. Um, I just feel bad for her family and Chris Perez, who she was married to, because, like, I can't imagine losing my spouse like that. Like, it's all of us. We can sit here and say, oh, my God, Selena was a great artist and connect with her that way. But this dude connected with her on a different level. So, yeah, I and, I feel and, so bad for him. Yeah, and then it was rumored that she was possibly pregnant too. So yeah, I know, in the movie they said like she was pregnant, but I don't know if it was ever actually confirmed. Yeah, it's not like it matters at this point. If she was pregnant, that baby ain't surviving. Yeah. So. Oh, I got three more here on this list. Um, number three, South Central. Uh, you probably have not heard of it, heard or seen this film. It is a gangster film. It's a uh, street L.A. gangster film, like very similar to Boys in the Hood. Around this time in the early 90s, you had a lot of hood films. And Boys in the Hood was probably, I think, like the big mainstream one that stood out. That kind of like opened the doors for these other films to come through. And I really feel South Central is an underrated film. It came out in 1991. Long story short, it's about this guy. He was uh, part of a street gang his whole life. He never gave a shit about education he never cared about it. he didn't really care about his girlfriend at the time he also had a son who he really wasn't paying any attention to uh long story short he went to jail he uh met a guy and and the guy he was with kind of really gave him a whole new perspective on life and he needed you know to get out of jail to be with his son because you don't want his son to go down the same path and his son was was heading down that way and his friend that he used to be in a gang with was trying to recruit his son to be part of his group. To shoot people, do drug deals, all that all that bad stuff. He didn't want that. Long story short, he made parole. 
he got out of jail. He's a whole new man. He goes back home to see his girlfriend. It's just kind of like she's struggling to, to, you know, provide for her son, provide for the house. And he just sees her like on, on the bed. I think she was even shooting up drugs. And he says, you know, I'm back home. You know, I'm going to try to fix all this. I'm going to try to make this right. And the ending scene is when his son, he goes to visit his friend and try to tell him, you know, I want, I don't want my son to hang out with you. I want him out of this. And then they get into a fight. He almost shoots him. But he says instead he gave the gun to his son. He told the son to shoot his father because he was never there for you. I'm your new dad. Blah, blah, blah. And the father's sitting there begging him. Please don't shoot me. He has tears in his eyes. He says, I made mistakes. And, you know, I want to fix all this. You know, give me a second chance and we can really make this right. And the son is just pointing a gun at him. You can just see it in his face. You can see tears coming down his eyes. And he ends up uh, putting the gun down. And a... And he, and a father and a son hug each other and he says you know this is going to take time but i'm going to fix this and i'm going to make this right and then he sl- and he looks at the other guy his friend he's upset that he did he didn't pull the trigger but at the end he lets them go it's like it's deep down he still did he still loved his friend even though he was not part of his group anymore and they walk out the front door and that was the end of the movie Huh. It was it was that ending scene. It was a really strong performance from that actor. Um, he's done other movies. I think he was he was in Saw Two. He got killed with a baseball in the back of his head. Uh, he's done a few other films. I know he was in The Day After Tomorrow. He was the homeless guy in the library with the dog. Um, I think he was in Speed with Keanu Reeves. He's done a few other movies, but that was and he was a really he put on a great performance in that ending scene. It really sold that that whole movie for me was that scene underrated movie very well done south central i don't think it's streaming anywhere if it is i heavily recommend you check it out all righty over boys in the hood honestly I, th- I think it's a superior film okay never saw it so can't say all right uh number two this is a jim carrey movie the truman show Oh, uh, that's the one where his life is being narrated or some shit. Yes. Uh, long story short, his whole life he's he's been on a TV show and he's never knew about it. Yeah. And the town, everyone in his life in this town, they're all in on it. At least you don't know that in the beginning, but later as through the movie, you find out, oh my God, everyone's fucking in on this. Like, what the hell is going on? Like, you know, and then later when the camera pans out, you realize this town he's living in is in a giant dome. So the town's not even real. <laughs> and he's, he's just part of one big reality show. And he's been on his show his whole life. And um, when they um, are interviewing the director, this director has basically been directing Truman's entire life since he's been born. Um, they show instances where, like, fans try to break into the uh, dome and try to warn Newman uh Truman hey you're on TV Truman and it's like all these different it's almost like when a fan runs into the ring and then you just quickly get the security it was it was it's a it's a dark comedy at times too right you know um and there are times where uh Truman falls in love with the wrong girl the girl you know that's who was just basically used as an extra but they end up falling for each other and to the point you know the writers of the of his show like try to get her off the show and then they try to replace her with another character that they like wrote in like like they want Truman to fall in love with her and you know all that happens but you know long story short Truman eventually 
you know, finds out, you know, little by little what's going on with his life. And he realized I can't trust nobody but myself. Like he can't, he can't leave town. Cause when growing up, he always wanted to be an explorer. He wants to explore the world for other things. And every time he says that all the te teachers shoot that idea down to him, like, oh, it's too late Truman. We already got enough explorers. You know, you know, you gotta do something else. Mm. So every time he tries to get out, something always happens to prevent him. He came to book a, a, a plane ticket because it's like, oh, we're sold out. And like, and they'll try to say, oh, it's that, it's that time of the year. And he's like, uh. He tries to get on a bus to leave town. All of a sudden, the, bu the bus breaks down. Quotations. Yeah. It's like he can't get out. So uh, I don't want to spoil it. Oh, I'm going to have to because it's my first movie ending. He's on a boat. Um... He's trying to get away in the ocean, but, you know, no one can get him because they're all actors. None of them have been trained to, to use a boat to go get him. And eventually they did because they could even control the weather too in this dome. And the director's like, but, you know, thunderstorm. And they're all like, are you going to kill this guy? He's like, just do it. Just doing everything, anything he can to stop him from escaping. But Truman survives the thunderstorm. He makes it all the way to the end and boom, he just hits a wall. It's just like a, it's just like the wall, the color of the sky, and then it plays like the dramatic music. He's trying to bang on the wall to get out, and eventually he finds a door. And right before he goes to the door, the director, you can hear him on the overhead. He's like, "Wait, Truman!" He says, "Truman, stop! I didn't want you to escape because I wanted to create a world for you where you don't have to suffer pain, you don't have to suffer war, uh, you never have to worry about being in debt." I wanted to make a world for you where you can be happy. I remember watching you when I, when I first saw you take your first steps. When you first, I, I watched you growing up. I watched you put on a pair of jeans for the first time. You making friends. It was like you're almost like a son that I never had, Truman. And I don't want you out in this real world because it's ugly, it's dirty, and you know you have a lot of bad people. I create a world for you where you don't have to worry about any of that. And, you know, Truman's thinking about it. He's sitting there. He's like, oh, you know, oh, my God, you know, he's, I guess he's right. You know, I was always happy. I was happy at the same time I wasn't happy. There was always something missing from his life. And I guess that's just to travel the world and explore. And then Truman says his quote, you know, that he said throughout the whole movie, in case I don't see you, good afternoon, good evening, and good night. And then he steps through the door. And then his girlfriend that they rode off the show because they fell in love. She puts on her jacket and leaves her apartment. And everyone watching the show on TV, they're all chanting and stuff like, yeah, Truman left, he did it. All right, I'm bored, let's see what else is on TV. Click, and then that's the end of the movie. Hmm. The, the idea of the movie is actually based off an episode of The Twilight Zone, back in the 80s revamp. This movie kind of gave me vibes of, um the video game the legend of zelda link's awakening where after the events of link to the past he is on a broken boat and lands on an island um i forget the name of the island but uh yeah he lands on this island I'm trying to find the name of the island while talking about this but um He's not in Hyrule. He's on a completely different uh, island where he has to figure out how to get out. And for him to get... Oh, it's Koholan Island. And when he... Uh, he has to get eight different pieces of an instrument to wake up this whalefish 
for him to get off this island. The thing about this island is that everybody's like happy-go-lucky, like there's no drama or anything like that on this island. Everyone's real happy. And he befriends a, uh, a girl on this island who tells him that one day she would like to be a seagull. Because uh, it's Marin is the girl that he befriends. And he wants to, she wants to be a seagull because she's stuck on that island and wants to explore the world. She wants to be able to see the world, and she can't because she's stuck on that island. Well, halfway throughout the game, what you realize is when you read a passage, you realize is that after you get half of the uh, instruments, you realize that when you wake up this whale fish and get off this island, the whole island will disappear. Everybody will be pretty much gone and dead. So he has to make this conscience decision that am I going to get all these parts and destroy the island, including Marin? Well, you get the rest of the instruments, you fight the final boss, you go up to the whalefish, and uh, yeah, the whalefish grants you the wish to get off the island. The island basically disappears and it's destroyed. And the very end scene, the very last scene is Link is on that same piece of boat that he was in the beginning. The whale fish flies by, he's like smiling, play the credits. And after the credit scene is over, there's a song that Marin keeps humming. And you see an animated photo of Marin smiling while she's humming that tune and her photo fades and a seagull comes passing by given the whole notion that she got what she wished for she's a seagull and is flying over the land to just explore so kind of gave me that vibe when you described the truman show it's a good movie i don't, I don't know if it's streaming anywhere but if it is i i heavily recommend it's definitely one of his better uh the better carried films this is like this came out, what, 98, 99, maybe a year or so after Liar Liar? Yeah. So it's still Pete Jim Carrey. Just a little more on his dramatic side. Gotcha. Well, he became more dramatic in Eternal Sunshine, The Spotless Mind. Yeah, that was kind of like around the time he, like, took himself a little too serious. It wasn't effective in that movie, but once you get to, like, number 23, um, mm -hmm. I, think, I think he did another film called Dark Skies or something. It was, like, a very depressing movie right i don't think he was bad in that dramatic aspect i just don't think people wanted that out of him i think they still wanted like ace ventura mm, gotcha which they kind of got again when he plays uh dr robotnik in the new sonic movies mm -hmm. well i only got one movie left um that's the ending to the shawshank redemption mm, okay just that moment where uh, Tim Robbins' character finally escapes the, the corrupted prison. Uh, and just the way he plotted that whole thing was is fantastic writing. And eventually everyone that was corrupted in that prison, they all get what was, what's coming to them. The award and ends up killing himself. Uh, because uh, cause everyone, cause everyone found out what he was doing to these prisoners. Or he was abusing them with the hand of God. Hmm. And one of the um, the voice actor of Mr. Krabs, he's in the movie, uh, Clancy Brown. He plays like one of the big tough cop guys. 
he ends up getting what what comes to him because he was a real asshole in that movie. Great actor. Gotcha. Really talented guy. But at the end of the film, you know, Morgan Freeman's character Red finally uh, uh, gets out of jail, and Tim Robbins' character kind of left subtle hints of where he could find them because they really became close in prison. And he says, you know, if you ever do get out of here, basically go here, 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 and you'll find me. And that's just kind of the ending of the film. And, you know, first Morgan Freeman's like questioning himself, is he really there? Is it worth it? He says, honestly, I don't give a shit because, you know, I have nothing to live for anymore except really for them. This guy practically saved my life because had I just went back to society, I probably would have killed myself because no one was going to accept me for, you know, for who I am, they're just gonna look at me as another convict. Cause every convict I kind of got out of prison ended up killing themselves because you know they just couldn't adjust to the just just to living a normal life, working a nine to five job because you know it sucks. All right. But eventually, at the very end of the film, the film just the music it just builds up to this moment, and he's on the beach, and he sees a man working on a boat. And then Tim Robbins, and he's looking out, he sees red. And then they both both walk up to each other, and the camera's like panning out to like the sky view, and then you see them hug each other, and then that's the end of the movie. Have you seen Shawshank, haven't you? Uh, I haven't seen it in full. I saw like the first third of it. It's a pretty, it's like what, two and a half hours? It's a pretty long movie, but it's worth it. Yeah. I have to, because it's part of the big three of 94 that one Forrest Gump and Pulp Fiction and I have seen Forrest Gump and I have seen Pulp Fiction so I I, I was going to have Forrest Gump as a horrible mention yeah Forrest Gump was a good solid ending but I guess most people are still turned off by uh, Jenny because of how she just like settles for him as opposed to chose him from the beginning Mm-hmm. So, yeah, after yeah, kind of does turn people off a little bit. Understandable, and that is my top ten favorite movie endings. I'm pretty sure there are other good ones that I'm not thinking about, and maybe, but um, yeah, that's that's that. And with that said, we're gonna talk about our favorite film here, uh, at least a film that I've always enjoyed. It's not a perfect film, but uh, I thought you know maybe maybe Monoxide might like this movie. Yeah, okay. And the film we are talking about is the 1985 vampire flick, Life Force. Directed by Toby Hooper, who directed, was mostly known for directing the original Texas Chainsaw Massacre and Poltergeist. Based on a screenplay from Don Jacoby and Dan O'Bannon. For those that don't know, Dan O'Bannon also wrote the screenplay for alien and as this was filmed in the uk stars a lot of british actors probably most uh uh actor most people know is patrick stewart this was before he did star trek this was pre captain picard and, and obviously way pre professor x it's about um a spacecraft crew that find a ship uh somewhere in the uh some comet and inside the ship they uh find three looking humanoid bodies and they also find a bunch of bat-like giant bat-like creatures it is based off the book the space vampires 
I guess you couldn't call the movie that. It'll sound too silly. So I'll go with Life Force instead. Let's talk about Life Force! The theme song to this movie reminded me of something, but I can't put my finger on it. I know I've heard it somewhere. I, it reminded me of something too, but now I can't remember the damn theme. Like, is it something like what football would play or like a sport? Yeah, whenever like the NFL would show like highlight videos. And they would use yeah. that song. I think WWE used it too when they showed, when they uh, made one of those rumble packages. There you go. Yeah, that's what I was thinking. I think you've used it for I've your used show. It too. Yes. So that's where I'm I'm getting that vibe from. But um yeah. So I'm the... not gonna go over everything plot for plot, scene by scene, but long story short, you know astronauts they find a, a space a space shuttle somewhere in this comet inside the shuttle they walk in they find these giant bat-like creatures and these three uh humanoids trapped in like this almost glass casket or sort so they bring these three bodies onto the ship and uh one of the astronauts gets like seduced it gets mentally sexually seduced by the female a humanoid he opens it she he starts making out with her and she gives this guy her part of her in him like she like he sucks some of her life force into him and she does the same with him vice versa and one by one everyone on the spaceship starts dying and then six months later they lose contact with this space shuttle so they send another space crew to go find them and then when that space crew goes inside, everything, everyone's been burned up. Uh, there's one, they find one body missing and uh, and the escape pod is gone. And they end up finding the three humanoid uh, caskets that, are, that were left on the ship. So they bring them, so they take those bodies, bring it inside, bring it back to uh, onto the planet Earth. They're in the, uh, in this, sci- in this lab facility. And then when it, and one of the uh, scientists is attracted to this female human, she's a very pretty girl, wakes her up. Instead of biting him, she kisses him and sucks all like his energy from his body to the point he's like basically a skeleton. Like he has no meat on him and, and you would pre- and is presumed dead quotations. So now you have a naked woman, a naked girl walking around this uh, lab. And she also has the power to mentally seduce guys as well. And I think she has the power of the force because uh, she wanted, she makes one of the security guards choke. Kind of like how Darth Vader does it to one of his assistants in Star Wars. Maybe a little inspiration there, I don't know, or just a coincidence. She walks out. They eventually find the uh, one astronaut guy that escaped through the pod. He, his pod landed in Texas. They bring him back over to the UK. He explains his story that he ended up falling for this girl. And he basically uh, burned the place down because he didn't want anyone to find what they found. And they didn't want to get it to Earth or else, you know, shit's going to hit the fan and things are going to be bad. And that's kind of life force, you know. And then, you know, shit gets crazy. The uh, skeleton guy ends up coming back to life. Uh, he sucks the life force out of one of the doctors, kind of like rejuvenating his health 
but at the same time, basically killing that doctor or making that doctor into a skeleton. And and in vampire lore, you got to keep you know feeding on the living to keep yourself rejuvenated to survive. And they ended up locking the, both of those guys into a cage. And of course, when you don't feed, you turn into a skeleton, and then you ended up exploding into dust. I think this is a very unique take on the vampire lore. It's different. It started off good when explaining all of that. But as soon as the movie just went on and on and on. Oh my god, I got bored of this movie pretty quickly. Now the version we now there was two versions of the film. The version we saw was the extended director's cut. This huh. is 116 minutes. The normal version is only 100 minutes. So 14 minutes was cut out, I guess, to kind of save theater time. Now, this film did flop at the box office. This was distributed by Canon Films. They're no longer in business because all their movies kept fucking flopping. Their last major flop was Masters of the Universe, the Dolph Lundgren and He-Man movie. It, they really thought that was going to work, and then it didn't. And that was just kind of really the end of the whole He-Man lore i guess until the netflix uh revival in the past in the recent years and they kind of went all woke movement with that show yeah this i was fascinated by this concept but it, as i said it just went off a cliff like real bad it was just it got boring once they officially figured out oh every two hours uh, these things will come back to life and they have to suck on somebody else to conserve energy. Otherwise, they'll turn, like you said, they'll turn into dust and stuff like that. Once that came about, then it was just like, at that point, it just lost its identity for me and just was very, very, very difficult to pay attention to. It's ridiculous. It's over the top. I was really surprised how serious the actors took the movie. Maybe it's a British, maybe it's a kind of a British thing, and a lot of the British actors are, are have theater experience or theater trained. So they definitely all bring a serious vibe to this film. Had this been filmed in the States, it's definitely would this definitely would have been more comical. And probably right. I they probably could I guess would have went more killer clowns tone. Maybe, but I do you, think, do you think that this film just kind of took itself too serious? I don't think that was the issue. I just think the pacing was terrible. This is like, because again, I was interested once they were slowly discovering how the thing works when it comes to sucking the life out of people. And then once, um, once they came to that conclusion and started going after the alien or vampire whatever this thing was from Haley's comet like that's it i'm bored i can't it's not keeping my attention it's not intriguing me in the slightest i couldn't care less what's happening to anybody it just yeah it just bored me uh this came out in 1985 i believe uh fright night came out the same year which is another vampire movie that one was uh more well received especially in recent recent years i mean both films have a cult following i'm surprised this film does it doesn't have the same big cult following like fright night does but i don't i do feel i do feel there is a lot of good stuff to this movie the special effects was done by uh, john dykstra who's known for doing the effects for star wars so I, I i definitely do see the influence there or you know the ideas 
with the effects. Um, but yeah, it's not a perfect movie. Um, I think my father showed me this film, and he always liked it. He showed it to me, and I said, you know, that was actually that wasn't too bad. It was different. It was. I this this isn't the go-to movie for a lot of people. But it is a different film. I, I would definitely take this version over whatever they decided to do with the vampires in Twilight. Making them fucking sparkle. Oh, yes. Yeah, sparkle. All that stuff. And always, like, having some sort of depressed mode where I will always love you. Even if you stop loving me, I will always love you. You could be dead, and I will still love you. Yeah. This movie just did do it for me. This was not Lost Boys. Oh no. This isn't even on the Love Light City. Not even near dark. Oh no. You heard of that. Not not Nosferatu, nothing. No, it's it's not on their level. I wouldn't even say that it's on a level of Fright Night. It's definitely it's a step below that, but I still think there's a lot of good to it. It's not yep. a film for everybody. It's not a. It's not a, a. A movie that you know. That that, you know, kicks into full gear as soon as it starts. It's definitely a slow burner. It takes its time. I think it's one of the better Toby Hooper films he's done. Probably post poster Poltergeist, because a lot of films he's done after that really didn't do it for me. Uh, I didn't care for Texas Chainsaw Two. I didn't. I didn't see Invader from Mars, but a lot of his later work was just kind of eh. I really feel like Spielberg got the best out of him when he did Poltergeist. This wasn't even uh, from Dust Till Dawn. Oh no, not even from no. Yeah, this was just whatever. Just like I don't have much to say. It was a very boring movie. I couldn't focus on it. It was that boring. It is. It is a little long. The uh, this was my first viewing of the extended cut because I didn't. I didn't realize Shutter. I didn't realize that was the version I was watching. Oh wait, because uh, there were some scenes. I'm like I don't really remember that the first time. Yeah, but, but I was glad I saw this film. Um, yeah, I. I guess. I guess. Like we could kind of probably end the episode here. It's not even so much that it was long. It was boring. There's been long movies that are interesting. This just wasn't one of them. Yeah, it does drag at times. Um, so where where are you? Where are you with the thumbs? Thumbs down. Thumbs down, all the way down. You can't recommend it. Nah, I can't. This is a, this is a very very boring movie. Hmm. I I kind of go um, thumbs in the middle, slightly up with me. I, I I appreciate it for trying to be something different. Um, obviously you know different doesn't always work in in some cases, but for me. Uh, I don't think I didn't think this was too bad. Um, maybe the ser- I think the seriousness from the actors kind of does help the film because it does add. I mean, I can see that being a distraction with some people, but for me, it works. And plus, we get to see a young Patrick Stewart who still has doesn't has that bald spot. That and oh, let him be the most promoted name in this movie, but show up for like maybe a cup of coffee. Well, he wasn't a star yet at this point. So then why, when you go on freaking uh, Google to look up this movie, it's like his name comes up as the first name. Well, because he's the biggest name currently today. He's break, He's definitely the breakout star, the biggest but, name out of that crew. But he's not the star of the film. No, because he wasn't a star in 1985. 
Alright, so then he shouldn't be top billing on Google. He should be a side billing. Let me let me tell you something. When Nickelodeon promoted a DVD release of The Secret World of Alex Mack. You remember that show? Yes, I remember Alex Mack. That's the girl who could do things with her mind or some shit. Do you know what name they used to promote that show? What name? Jessica Alba. <sighs> okay. Because she guest starred in like two episodes. Where is, are, are they promoting her, though? Uh, well, this was more of an overseas thing. This was back in like the mid 2000s. Oh, uh, okay. Yeah, that's kind of stupid. I know they did the same thing with uh, one of the Bruce Lee movies where they put him on the. They put him as the main star, and the only footage that's used of him is stock footage because he died before that movie was even made. Yeah. Uh, what the hell is it? Was it Game of Death, I think is the name of it? The second one. It was the second one. Hmm. Game of Death 2? Yeah, I think it was Game of Death 2 where he's like promoted as the main guy in that film and there's only like stock footage of him in that film. Yeah, even with the Carrie movie, like, they promote on a poster, it says Sissy, Sissy Spacek, whatever last name is, who plays Carrie. And then on the other side, they have John Travolta. But John Travolta's barely in the movie. Or he has a very, he has very few scenes. But, but because, you know, it's an IP, it's a name thing. Right. So I, that's really all it comes down to. Yeah, but it's, it doesn't make it any less stupid, because if somebody's trying to purchase this movie thinking oh my god i'm gonna see patrick stewart and then they're watching and then like an hour goes by and he's not there it's like you just suckered them into paying for your movie that's yeah well that's how roger corn makes money yeah but it's like at some point somebody could be liable for false advertising i'm pretty sure that's ha- that's happened but i mean this has been done forever I know, like, um, even when you make like like movies like Pacific Rim, all of a sudden you have another C-rated movie called Atlantic Rim. You know, somewhere in the '80s, like or early '90s, some kid tried to sue Nintendo because they released a baseball game that said it was supposed to be authentic baseball, and it wasn't. And the kid's argument was was that like, okay, there's teams, but there's no names to them. There's just numbers. How is anybody supposed to know who is what? Like, you can't depict it. And if somebody buys this game years after the fact, all of these are going to be outdated. Because if they're supposed to represent real baseball players, who's going to know which is what? Because it's so outdated. Some legal bullshit that I can't really describe until I actually get the uh, actual page of the lawsuit up. But yeah. I would presume at some point somebody's going to be crazy enough to want to sue the company because they're false advertising. Like, in this case, Patrick Stewart is being the main guy. Well, there's nothing to sue because the company's out of business. True. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. That's 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 that for Canon Films. But um, I guess that's going to do it for this episode of Fractured Skulls! Yeah. Currently streaming on Shudder and Tubi. Yeah, don't watch it, please. It's it's all right. I, I, I like I said, you know, it's if you want check, you have time to kill. You want to check it out? Go ahead. 
yeah, if you like heartburn, eat whatever you want. Develop it. It'll feel good, maybe. From Monoxide, I'm Terminator Travis. <laughs> we'll see you guys in our next episode.